Hey everyone, Rob here, and what you're about to hear is one of the final episodes of the Crooked Table podcast. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere, but the show in its current form is coming to an end. Still, from the ashes of the Crooked Table podcast will rise the era of Crooked Table Productions. Starting this summer, we'll be launching three brand new shows. These include Showstoppers, a seasonal show spotlighting two actors. In this first season, my lovely wife Kai and I will shine a light on the careers of Jim Carrey and Drew Barrymore. Franchise Detours, wherein a guest and I will discuss the many twists and turns of a popular movie series, including our upcoming mega series on the Child's Play movies. And finally, this feed will transform into Close Watch with Robert Yanis Jr., in which I get to know a guest through the prism of a movie they love. But that's all coming up. For now, let's listen in for one of the final times to the Crooked Table Podcast. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr., Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, returning guest Jamie Williams and I break down the original Marvel movie. No, not Iron Man. Nope, not X-Men either. Hell, not even Blade. No, this episode will quack ourselves up over 1986's Howard the Duck. The movie, of course, has an infamous reputation. One of the worst movies ever made. It was a big flop for uh, producer George Lucas at the time. But is it worth revisiting now in the age of the MCU? We're getting so many comic book movies left and right. Does Howard the Duck have anything unique or distinctive to say, regardless of, you know, how you want to judge its quality? Well, let's hop a laser beam over to Duck World and take a look at Howard the Duck. We're joined this week by Jamie Williams. So Jamie Williams, before you tell us why we're talking Howard the Duck, uh, explain to the people a little bit about yourself. Uh, this is my third time appearance on the show. We discussed uh, Man the Moon, and then I think we did Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. Yep. Uh, right now, I, I was a writer for several different websites, uh, the now-defunct IESB uh, and, and Screen Rant, and uh, founder of a, co-founder of a site called thinkmaflightthink.com, regular movie news pundit, and um, just like all of us trying to get by uh, making a buck every day. You know, we were going back and forth talking about uh, what your – your third appearance on the show was going to be after planes, trains, and automobiles, as you mentioned. Uh, and you threw several ideas to, at, at me. And one of them was Howard the Duck. So uh, before we get to Howard the Duck, this being the first real Marvel movie, I think the only thing they'd really put out before this uh, was some Captain America serials in like the 40s. So where do you land on Marvel movies or comic book movies in general right now? Obviously, they're driving the industry. You know, one being Martin Scorsese, that's not cinema. Five being like the the Zack Snyder cultists. Uh, what is kind of where do you where do you sit on on uh, comic book movies generally? I'm kind of bored with them right now. I mean, it's weird because me and you are the same age, and we can remember going on the movie news sites back when it was only three of them, and like waiting for the day that we get comic book movies. And in the 90s growing up, like, what did we get? We got Batman sequels, and then we got the weird ones like Dick Tracy and Shadow, Phantom, what else? Rocketeer. And then we got some Ninja really oddball. Ninja Turtles. And then we got, like, Tank Girl, Barbed Wire, um, Judge Dredd, Steel, Spawn. I think I named them all. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it was a so. weird, like, we weren't getting the big dogs. And we kept praying that one day we could get them. And what do we, you know, some be careful what you wish for. Uh, I'm kind of bored with them at this point, man. 
Yeah, I could see that. I'd see that. I, I think there's definitely a a certain, and this is more true with Marvel, obviously. There's definitely the the formula is sort of wearing thin. That's why when they shake things up and they do something like you know Wandavision, which is so different from anything else they've done before, I'm like, all right, they're trying here. They're like giving us some some effort. I mean, I, and I'm more, I'm obviously way more plugged into all that stuff than you. I'm I'm more of a sucker for. <laughs> the comic book stuff, but even I have to admit, like very few of those are, are quote great movies or or anything. They're just they're more uh, serving they're more serving the the business side of it than the creative side. But there's, I mean, I'm still still be lying if I didn't say that I'm curious and about what they have in the pipeline and that I'm you know kind of on board to at least check it out. That doesn't mean I'm gonna you know put it on a pedestal like some people do, but. But yeah, no, I, I I feel you. We're like in a complete dearth uh, of comic book movies when Howard the Duck comes out. I think that the first Marvel movie, as we said, I think before that was basically Superman movies. And that's about it. <laughs> if I'm, if I'm, I, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Superman, Swamp Thing, um, but. Supergirl was, was a couple of years before this. Super Supergirl, yeah. Um, like, I think there'd been a Tarzan movie, Sheena, there've been a Conan and Rasonia. Not many. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because you mentioned WandaVision. That's sort of the reason why I wanted to bring up Howard the Duck because it's getting a lot of praise for being weird and different. And I like weird and different, especially with the sameness that the Marvel films are really going for, have been going for, for many years now. Um, but, you know, and I, and I certainly, I was sort of frustrated with the first two episodes of WandaVision because I thought, okay, I got the joke, move on. You know, it's, it wasn't really that unique of an idea of, hey, let's make the 50 sitcoms. I mean, I have a lot of memories watching uh, Hi Honey, I'm Home on Nick at Night Night in the early 90s. Uh, and then a lot of people did their version of making lampooning sitcoms during that time period to the point where there's even a infamous high home from the UK, one where it's Hitler and uh, and uh, I, you know, so when I hear the, the praise about being weird and different, I think, you know, okay, I'll give you that. But if you want really, if you really want weird, you got to go to Howard the Duck. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I love, I will not, you know, I think everyone listening to this, this right now, and Robert and I only talked like a, maybe five minutes before we started recording. There's a was a lot of laughter between Robert because it was like, yeah, we're talking about Howard the Duck, <laughs> and <laughs> it's not a good movie. Can we just say that up front, sir? It's yeah, I think movie. that's that's. I feel like it's empirical fact at this point. We we should just put that out there. It's not a good movie, but I like it, and the reason I like it is it's unapologetically weird. Right. Uh, it makes no bones of contention about you're gonna go with this or you're not. Um, and I, I wish more movies did that nowadays. And it's amazing that like it got chastised in 86 for, for being that. And you look at the movies that they were making at that time period, studios, they had balls, they took risks. And, um, for anyone to say they made that night when after the movie bombed, I would, I would counter that with, you know, the year before Universal took a risk on a weird, uh, fan, equally weird fantasy adventure film that was comedic, also fish out of water elements, and also had, instead of bestiality, incest under undercurrent, Back to the Future. With that Leah was Thompson. The biggest, with, oh, that's right, with Leah Thompson. Uh, <laughs> and that was, the biggest, that was the biggest movie that year. 
yeah. by a big margin. So I feel like Universe probably like, all right, it's my like. I'm, I'm although I, I add, I must, I must say that you know Robert Zemeckis and 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 Bob Gale, God bless them, are infinitely better writers than uh, uh, Willard Hayek and the late Gloria Katz. With all due respect, I can easily. Being executive at that time period, reading both scripts, going, I'm going to make Back to the Future. That's like they set script in film school. Nobody, mm, yeah, <laughs> nobody studying the Howard the Duck script, Robert. <laughs> Except they're like, don't do this. It didn't work yeah, out well the first time. Exactly. <laughs> this is one that when I was really little, I remember watching a lot. As like I don't know in in the 80s. In the I was born in 83, so. Uh, I was three when this came out. I probably saw saw it a, a couple years later, and I remember watching this as a kid and and really being into it, uh, just because that was you know the, the mid late eighties. All the all the first of all all the children's entertainment was weird. I mean Pee Wee's Playhouse and things like that, which I'm actually watching with my daughter now, which has been an, an experience in and of itself. Uh, it, you know the, the puppets in the stop motion elements of it like that all, all that technology is is are, are elements that i'm really nostalgic for and how i have a, a special place in my heart because i grew up with it so this was i think the first time i'd seen this in probably roughly 30 years something like that uh it's it definitely since the early 90s i would say at the at the very uh, at the very latest so it was a totally different experience going back, watching it as a kid, and then it having decades of reputation as one of the worst movies of all time, uh, and then going back to it now uh, with with fresh eyes, adult eyes, I guess. So when was when when did you first see it, and what is the experience like now by comparison? Uh, the first time I saw it was it was later than you did. So this would have been early 1997. Uh, it was after the Star Wars special edition reissues when all three of the trilogy came out and made oodles and oodles of money. And George Lucas was back in the news because he was also uh, about to start shooting episode one. And I had a DVD, or not DVD, a CD-ROM called, I think it was the Blockbuster Home a Guide to Movies and Previews. And it was a CD-ROM that, like, it went, you, it, you just scrolled through all these movies, and they gave you, like, a five-star reviews of movies, uh, pictures, trailers, you know, if it won off, whatnot. And I remember it getting to the Howard the Duck section, and I remember what stand out was it was they they called it one of the all-time great bombs that kind of intrigued me and then i remember at the same time they did an a and e biography on george lucas and it was a real it was a really big one because it was actually two hours when normally they were just an hour in and out they actually spent two hours talking about somebody and they did a george one and they like glided over howard the duck so quickly i think i saw like a couple of like it, it was not even a minute they just they discussed that movie rightfully so and so um, I finally rented the tape around that around that time in early '97. So I would have been 13. That's probably the right age to see that movie. I was gonna I say, yeah. I th- this feels like this has a very 13 year old uh, sensibility. Oh God! Because sure. I was gonna ask you uh, if you would show Little Girl this movie. Because I w- if I were in your shoes, me personally, I would not show a child this movie. And I'm yeah, a pretty liberal I, guy when it comes to when it comes to the movie. Parents let me watch in my very conservative upbringing. My parents were shockingly liberal. They're like, "Look, it's, it's, it's you know, South Park is true. It's joke on South Park, bigger long, but it's actually true." It was like, "Hey, is there nudity or sex? No, he can watch it. It's fine. Like, right. it's it's fine." And like, I, but I wouldn't show a kid this. This is no shocking. It's it's pointedly not a kids' movie. I mean, I think that's the other thing. I feel like 
expectations were set uh, when this when when this was announced with George Lucas involved, and he was coming off of uh, he did Labyrinth came out the same year, and then he had like the, you know Indiana Jones, uh, Temple of Doom a couple years before, and then you know obviously the Star Wars trilogy ended a few years earlier as well. So he was kind of on on fire at the time, and uh, and so I think they were expecting maybe something a little more in line with with those fan the, that fantasy work that he had done and you know i think this was rated pg as well because pg13 hadn't really been been solidified yet it was like right around starting well, it had, well, it had been. that's what amazes me how did this not get a pg13 that shocks yeah. me how did I, this not get that this is two years after the rating was implemented and i remember the vhs had this scene contains material uh footage that's not suitable for children for old stretch and advice like which we would see in front of a movie on usa network or whatever in the 90s right. but like and not in a PG fantasy adventure made uh, rated movie. This should have been, this is the definition of 13 movie. And I, I, I have to imagine, I never said this, but I, I kind of wonder if like they, I wouldn't be surprised if they had to resubmit the ratings board a couple of times. Cause this mm. is like, even when you think of the cabinet of like seventies uh, and seventies uh, and early eighties movies, pre PG 13 rating, that's sort of like, okay, there's nudity. There's some language, but they sort of let it slide. This really is like, it's shocking even for them how much, it's actually counted. There's like four different moments where he catches couples hardcore in the moment going. Mm -hmm. Plus there's the infamous duck nudity. What else? Um, Well, that's, that's the thing too. Let's just like the first, like I can, I can see them just initially being like, Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a man sized duck walking around. Okay. That's fine. Whatever. That sounds like a kid's movie slapping that on. But like even, you know, later on, it, it gets uh, more fantasy focused with, the, you know, more with the the dark overlords of the universe and all that. But like the first 20 minutes, there's uh, there's the the all the sexual references. The, he's reading a play duck, uh, the, the, the duck nudity you mentioned. Uh, Beverly finds a condom in his wallet and it's like, I was watching it and I'm like, who is this movie for? Like, which or, audio? It's, uh, it's like, you can't saved, Yeah, and when he saves Beverly, then one of the creeps goes, you want to, like, it's autograph my shorts. And he pulls yeah. up his underwear. You're like, oh my God. Like, I didn't realize, again, as a kid, you can't process this shit. I watched this as a 36 year old and you're like, oh God, like, what am I watching here? This is some strange shit. But I'll go back to Mr. Lucas for if I can for a second because yeah, you're commissioning his filmography, and this is at the same time period because like him and Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, you know they're best friends. They are still best, but they also had this thing where they had a friendly rivalry with each other. And the the guys in the new Hollywood era did during the seventies. You know uh, Spielberg also did with John Lance, uh, and it was clear that in the eighties, like you know. Steve and George were the predominant figures. They were the ones who were going to be able to survive the, you know, the, the, that whole, you know, the, the death of the new Hollywood era with, uh, you know, Michael Cimino's crazy ass and, and all that stuff with Gate. Suddenly Hollywood's like, you know, okay, we're, we're not going to let directors do what they want. Lucas and Spielberg were doing just fine. They were going to be able to, they're doing okay. They're, they're, you know, anyway. So my point being is um, they're set. What's the new goal now? And it was clear that you look at the biographies of both guys they decided that, okay, I'm gonna, who's going to be the new Walt Disney? Because you notice this movie, they say Steven Spielberg presents. Mm. George Lucas presents. And it was this thing where, okay, who's going who's gonna to the goal first? Who's going to win the... 
And it's amazing to me that, you know, there's the expression, you know, so-and-so lost the battle, but they won the war. God bless him. George Lucas, he didn't win a single battle. <laughs> he just, <laughs> you take out, now you don't count Star Wars because that's his own thing. You don't right. count Indiana Jones because that's their thing together. So in that sense, poor George Lucas had nothing but letdowns that decade. I mean, you mentioned Labyrinth. That was a giant, same summer, huge bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a gigantic bomb that, that killed some crews. Um, and then later, he had to sort of go back to the well and go back to the sort of fantasy adventure sword and sorcery-esque material with Willow. And even that underperformed. Like that didn't bomb, but it underperformed. And then he produced Tucker, Man in His Dream for Andrews Coppola. That bombed. The, the most successful thing he did that decade as a producer was uh, that didn't involve Indiana Jones or Star Wars was Captain EO. And that wasn't even a theatrical movie. It was funny to me how Labyrinth and Willow went on to become, well, certainly Labyrinth, Willow maybe to a lesser extent, to become like nostalgic, like cult favorite movies. And Howard the mm-hmm. Duck has, I guess, a, I guess a so bad it's good kind of contingency of people that, that, still, uh, that still rewatch it. But definitely the reputation has gone the complete opposite direction, even though but they all did bad at the Nobody, it, it was a bad word for many years. You could not yes. mention this movie out loud. You can mention, the, I mean, I, I mean, uh, Marvel or, or George Lucas, it was almost a thing where you can't mention this to Mr. Lucas. And I don't know when this started. This, I don't even know if the word acceptance would be the right term of the duck. I guess it was when they did the special edition DVD in the mid-aughts. They got to be okay to talk about it. Yeah. But I don't know I, before then, because it was kind of weird to like, even as a 13, 14-year-old kid to be renting Howard the Duck, people going like, why are you renting this movie? I don't. I don't know. I don't. It's it's a it's a curious one, and that that's why when you brought it up, I was like, oh, we got to talk about Howard the Duck, because that that's an interesting conversation in and of itself. So, do you do you think? Obviously, you said that you in you like the movie. Do you think that it's as bad as its reputation, even though it is a bad movie? Like, do you do you think it's? It, I guess what it sounds like to me is that you think it's bad, but in an interesting way. I think there's things that, that work about the movie. I, I won't know. Yeah. There are things that work about the movie. Uh, I mean, from a technical standpoint, I think John Barry's score is amazing. The visual effects, including the amazing stop motion work from uh, Phil Tippett, is still top notch. I think Jeffrey Jones, okay, you know, putting an asterisk about the, the man he was in real life, which we right, have exactly. to do with, with all artists. Jeffrey Jones, he seems to be the only actor who's in on the joke. Yeah, I think so. I get that impression. Uh, I thought he came off very well in that movie, and then and you know what, uh, Leah Thompson and uh, and the in the group Cherry Bomb, those pop tunes are actually really awesome. Like I really like that stuff, and it's amazing because this is a series of what ifs. Certainly, uh, of the fact of uh, they first went to Landis to direct this movie, and I think the official reason they gave is John Landis thought the third act was too similar to Blues Brothers. I think that's a very political way of saying no. It's, it was terrible because I, I don't think John, and I, I get the, you know what, I can see the logic because John Landis had also done Blues Brothers and Wolf in London, two on paper, very weird movies that yeah. worked and made oodles of money. Both of them were huge hits. So I get that going worked, to Landis. That worked, but probably shouldn't have worked in a way. Like on exactly. paper, don't and, work. Yeah. And he was the author of the screenplays or the author. So he and his head knew, like he was there from the inception where he's sort of a gun for hire at this point. You know, you're going off of Hayek and Cat script. Uh, 
another interesting asterisk is that we'll get to Howard himself, but originally he was supposed to be a CG creation. I don't know if that ever got out. They, it was sort of something I found doing some digging up factoids for this movie, but apparently they did some tests to see if they could make a fully computer-generated character for 96, and the tests were so bad that they said, okay, it has to be a, a, a little, it has to be someone in a suit. And when they were first developing the project, George Lucas was like, there is no way we're going to make this movie with a person in a suit until they saw the footage. And they said, mm. okay, we're doing someone in a suit. Like, it was that bad, apparently. I would love for someone to find this stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he the kept on that toy. though for for Jar Jar Binks about a decade or so later, the first yeah. CG. Uh, yeah, that's right. And the third factoid, and I'll shut up for a second here, is the original. You know, talking about weirdness, uh, and I think is that the note uh, when they were first developing the script, um, Lucas tells Hike and Cat, "Okay." Uh, don't explain came from that's the worst thing you can do just go with it because they're going to go they're either going to be just just don't even acknowledge that the worst thing you do is create an origin story for this kind of material i actually agree with that mm-hmm. uh and so the first draft that they submitted was radically different where it's uh howard the duck is already on earth he's been on earth for years he's pre-established he's a private detective living in hawaii and they <laughs> submitted the script to universal executives and they were like this is too weird do an origin story and Luke was like, all right. And like they had to once again go back to what he said. Like I was like, where's that script? Right. Yeah, that would have been much better. I, I think. <laughs> I mean, I I think I think him as a private detective doing the film noir. I, I like you know I watched some of the the special features on the DVD and and they talked about wanting to shoot it in Hawaii initially and how Lucas was drawn to the comic book because it was like this like absurdist noir, noir sto- story and it makes me think of something like which is another not not good movie uh, the Happy Time Murders was just trying to do a similar thing with yeah. like, Muppets but in in like a adult oriented noir story uh, and I think. Howard the Duck could have been a more, a more interesting version of that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like that would have been, I kind of feel like that would have been improvement in a way, just because it would, you know, you're, this movie, because it starts in Duck World and it's trying to, you know, trying to justify what he's doing here and all of that. I think it, it I think it, it, it tries, it spends too much time trying to basically try, try to justify its own existence, essentially. It's like, oh, don't worry, he's a, he's a duck here, but we're going to explain how he got there and what's everything, so don't worry, it's going to make sense. And then you watch the movie, and you're like, no, it doesn't make sense. You just spent like half hour of the movie setting it up, and it, it still doesn't work. And um, not to mention all the, all the like perverted uh, duck sexual references uh, and the, and the, like the duck puns that are, that are sprinkled throughout, which some are cute and some are, are like, ugh, really? Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like that probably would have been a, a cleaner way in. I feel like the other problem is like, uh, and, and this is with all due respect, it's hike and cats themselves. Cause I've had a mm-hmm. theory about them. It's my second theory. I'm going to put, uh, my, uh, I, I've always thought of them as sort of the uh, cautionary tale, uh, to and Gale. If you look at it, the filmographies are sort of streamed very side by side. Is here's a writing, directing, producing team. One's the director, one's the producer, the other both of them write the script, come up with the story, and they are uh, uh, they are championed by an uh, by this auteur iconic director who has their every time, and if as long as they got their buddy next to them, they can get the movie made. Uh, and 
unfortunately, you know, they had like, you have Zemeckis and Gale, they had Spielberg, and then you had uh, Hike and Katz, and they had Luke. And, you know, Zemeckis and Gale were able to stand their own, on their own two feet eventually, thanks to Romance in the Stone and Back to the Future. I know someone's reading this and it's going right now. Well, Spielberg produced Back to the Future. Well, he wasn't that involved with Back to the Future, and he was only brought on later on. And everyone, even Spielberg, said, look, they were going to make the movie without me. So, like, so you have to give them that. Hike and Katz. You can't point to a single thing they've done that didn't have George Lucas at work. I mean, like, if you've been able to sit through Best Defense, which, by the way, I tried, it's terrible. And they also wrote uh, what was for many years regarded as the worst Indiana Jones movie, Temple mm-hmm. of Doom, which has yeah. now been relegated. It's been propped up in part because of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I mean, I've always loved Temple of Doom, but I won't lie, it was the one I watched the least of the three of them, as much as I loved all three of them growing up. They also, I mean, wrote, uh, wrote more American Graffiti, I think. Yeah, so. they all they, and they did American they, Graffiti with him, which is yeah, and then yeah, they famously yeah, and they famously did rewrite work on Star Wars. They man, like I think the problem lies there. I do think that maybe if you let them write the script, but you had to you really needed to get another director, you know. But I mean, then you think of like circa nineteen eighty five, who do you hire to direct this movie? I mean, I I, I don't know. David Lynch. I don't know. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> no, no, it's not, actually. But yeah, yeah. yeah Hike did uh, the only other movie he worked on after this theatrically was Radioland Murders, again, a Lucas production. And then that's it. He never directed another movie after this. This so, like, killed That's his one of the career. careers that, that, did, yeah. Yeah, that got destroyed by Howard the Duck. Uh, I mean, yeah. Lucas, yeah, Lucas him, uh, him and Cat. I mean, like, um, even Leah Thompson. I mean, like she, she, she was lucky to uh, she was lucky to get her career to continue her career after she admitted. She very quickly was like, okay, I'll do uh, the Back to the Future too. She got yeah, Back to the Futures, and then in the '90s was Caroline in the City. I think worked for her for a few years, and yeah, and on the the one of the featurettes I watched, she talked about having this like the basically the apex and the nadir of her career, like back to back. Back to the Future and then Howard the Duck, uh, like on two consecutive years, and how that really kind of put the industry into perspective for her uh, ever since then. And I, I agree with you. I don't. I think she's not. She's not terrible in this, uh, considering oh. that she's, you know, she's supposed to be in love with a uh, a man a man sized duck. Basically, uh, it's. I think she sells a lot of it. She has, you know, the Leah Thompson charisma. It basically she's she's riffing on. It feels like a a, a variation on uh, Lorraine Lorraine Baines uh, in Back to the Future. That, like she yeah, said, and, and, yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say that, like in the other one, she's pretending to be in love with her son, and here it's a duck. And so she was. It's. I think she was probably able to channel some of that performance uh, style into into Beverly. They do a weird thing though, and it's it's the lesser work because, um, you know, what what struck to me there's a lot of cut to, cutaway shots of her laughing at what Howard says, mm. but I it was a weird choice. Like, okay, I get it, you 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 like him, all right, you know, that's a weird thing. Like, you know, it's not you can't tell me it's like what someone says is funny because someone else is laughing. I have to determine that myself. I was thinking like, there's not like a lot of like laughing shots in Back to the Future. It's like it's just funny. It makes it situations are they come about and you're laughing at it by, by having to be hey 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 it felt kind of sitcom watching Haddock actually when I rewatched it recently 
Like, I felt like this wouldn't be too different than watching an 80s episode of, like, you know, Family Ties or something. As strange as that sounds. Yeah. I I thought you were going to drop an ALF reference because that's another sitcom from the 80s with a (laughs) a puppet walking around. Um, But she she does so, so much work in in carrying the movie. And like you were saying, in her scenes with Howard. I think Back to the Future is confident in in that it has good material to work with and this is just like all right leah you have to we're limited limited uh technology with howard and like the the, uh the the person inside the the suit couldn't even see out of them and just had to like you know just kind of do the actions and not be able to talk because the dialogue wouldn't wasn't inaudible from inside the suit and so it was like a real like technical challenge to pull that off uh not to mention that the script is not really good so I think Leah Thompson d- deserved some kind of consolation prize for making her scenes with Howard as as moderately compelling as they are, uh, especially the the you know the weirdest scene, of course, being the sex scene or the almost sex scene with her and Howard, uh, where you have the the erect feathers on his head and all that other stuff. So do you want to weigh in on uh, on that scene? Very subtle, subtle work there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what they do. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, the scene speaks for itself. I, I, many better com- uh, comedians have lampooned that scene than I could say anything. If you want a good laugh after you listen to this podcast, go check out We Hate Movies. They did an amazing takedown on this film that I still listen to every couple, every so often because it's so goddamn funny. I, I just like how, you know, Robert, I, I got to go back to something. Let's go back to a point. How did they... I know they talk about I, I I sort of back on my own argument. Like I said earlier, well it's weird, so it's back to the future, but like where was that executive to say like, okay, can we cut the bestiality out of this? What the hell? This is a right. little different. Like there's a there's a there, there is a purity to how Leah Thompson plays um her character in Back to the Future as opposed to this. Like she doesn't know that that's her son. She does this is this mysterious guy who just shows up into her town in purple underwear with his name on it, you know, my dad almost hit with a car and it's a little different than like the Howard the Duck thing. Cause like, it, it just like randomly gets into just, the, it's the sort of randomness of like, okay, now they're going to become a couple. Even like Willard Hayek says like, yep, at the end of the movie, they become a couple. I'm like, Oh, thanks. Yeah. He's like, I like to think that Howard and Beverly are still together. And I'm like, Oh, why? <laughs> Is this what you think about? Like, boy, my career got better. Like, I mean, because that's the other thing is like the alternate reality. If Howard the Duck had been a blockbuster, like, is the film landscape any different? I don't think it's that different with comic movies, personally. Uh, You know, film executives famously learn the long, the the wrong lessons every time out. So, you know, I I still think Batman happens, you know, in three years and becomes the icon it is and everything like that. Uh, I, I think the best case scenario is there's a sequel and it's maybe even weirder, but like, I don't think we suddenly get Marvel movies any sooner. You know, I mean, I probably, the big ramification of this movie doing well financially is there would be no Pixar because famously this movie was such a disaster that Lucas had to sell off stuff just to keep himself afloat, had to sell off his anime. Uh, he had to sell off the, the, he had to sell off Pixar, the Steve Jobs. Yeah. So we wouldn't. We would most likely not have gotten uh, Pixar as we know it without the failure of Howard the Duck. Strangely enough, that's it's really weird to think of that. But uh, yeah, Dan, yeah, I think you might be right. I do 
also think probably Marvel wouldn't have sold all the movie rights to all their properties in, I think, the 90s to the point that they still are like locked in a custody, joint custody with Sony over Spider-Man. Uh, and I don't think they're the one time out that they tried to do something uh, pre-90s uh, film adaptation wise. It, it was Howard the Duck. I don't think that. Well, then, let me ask you this. Would how how could a is there a way they could have made this better? Is there a way that a Howard the Duck movie could have worked? And like, how would how would you have uh, improved this? Like, how should they have approached the story, or the source material? To well, to see, be I'm honest, not, I'm not really that familiar with the the comic books either. So I'm not. See, that's the thing. I'm not really either, and I I don't think there's apparently the comic books were more fourth wall. Um, he was way more of a uh, uh, of a smart ass in, in a Groucho Mark sense, which I've seen. I've seen like the images of the comic books. He definitely they're clearly doing Groucho Marks. Mm. Uh, I think that's a mistake in the fact that the voice actor not is, you know, he's okay, but a little too you know high pitched, youthful Howard the Duck. When I, the impression I always got was he's supposed to be grizzled and older. I, I kind of am surprised they didn't go for someone else. That time period, I mean, I don't know who you'd get. Like, um, I'm blanking out. Like, Danny DeVito? Question mark as Howard the Duck? I, I don't know. I mean, like, who, who, Ruffled or Walter? Uh, Walt, hey, I, Walter Matthau is Howard the Duck. There you go. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, circa '86. Uh, I don't know. I mean, actually, it's funny because I, I, I really do wish they would try Howard the Duck again. I know it sounds completely crazy, but uh, it, it with Marvel trying to now really embrace the weirdness because. Frankly, they need, you know, well, they haven't really lost Evans, as we found out. And, you know, look, spoiler alert, Robert Downey Jr. is going to come back, too. Don't doubt mm. that, kids. He's totally going to come back. But until that point, you know, they're going to try to do some different things to spice, to spice it up, keep, be, keep people interested. Because, respectfully, all things come to an end, and uh, this Marvel train will stop eventually. Because people will tire of it and move on. I know you don't believe it, but it will happen. Uh, and I would appreciate, I, I would like it if they would try new things and they would really go for, Hey, let's do Howard the Duck. Let's actually go for a Howard the Duck movie or, or Hey, yeah. Uh, a Hulu, uh, series where you can be more adult angled. And my brother, God bless him, had the perfect casting choice to voice Howard the Duck. Bruce Campbell. That? Ooh. Yeah. There you go. I know. Right. Can you imagine like a cigar smoking humanoid duck voiced by Bruce Campbell? tickets sold like yeah man i want that stuff I, I think we live in the age of people embracing the guardians of the galaxy and stuff like that which certainly was weird but it had some heavily mainstream appeal to it because james gunn knew what he was doing mm-hmm. um it just takes that right guy to find it i'm not saying it needs to be james gunn but it, you know who knows it, it, you know respectfully it wasn't hike of cats but right you know yeah. nowadays who who knows who it could be but i'm sure someone's got a howard the duck angle out there I mean, I if they're 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 doing a massive budget Disney Plus series on Scarlet Witch and Vision. I don't see them doing something weird with Howard the Duck. Doesn't feel like that much of a leap, even you know, in the next few years. Uh, they've brought Howard the Duck. He had a cameo in Guardians, like the post credit scene, and he's appeared like in the background in a couple of these movies. And it's it doesn't he he would feel completely at home if they did a Howard the Duck, like you were saying like a Hulu series or something and give it sort of a, a vibe of the guardians slash Ragnarok. Now that like loopy kind of uh, 
you know, 70s or 80s era cosmic uh, tale and kind of spin it from there. And uh, I think that would work, basically. So it, 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 they've, cause they, they've kind of set it up for a retcon already in that regard. I feel like the only reason they would not do it is it's too simpatico with failure. You know, mm-hmm. as we mentioned earlier, they didn't go to, they would not, you could not mention that movie for many years to Marvel or anybody. It right. was really, it was a dirty work. And it might be, you know, like sort of putting them in those movies, the cosmic films in the background is just a little, okay, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to our past, but like, we're not really going to go there. I feel like the ballsiest movie Marvel could do is, is to go there. Now, would they? I don't know, but I really wish they would. Yeah, I would love, I would love that. I think, you know, have him show up in Thor Love and Thunder for a scene and then people be like, oh my yeah. gosh, where the duck kind of store this, sold this movie. How did that happen? Uh, and now, now we're at the point where the cosmic characters are visiting Earth and back, bouncing back and forth and everything. So it wouldn't, it, you wouldn't really need to explain, well, do we have to see Duck World? Like, no, nobody gives a shit anymore. Just, just roll with yeah. it. There's a duck. He's from space. There's a duck. You have a, ra- a raccoon and a tree already. So it's all, <laughs> the duck doesn't feel like a hard sell anymore. Yeah, or like, you know, have him do a Howard the Duck team-up movie with like the Hulk or somebody. You know, yeah, whatever. Go for it. Yeah, why not? You know, just uh I'm all for it, man. Like let's 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 bring back Howard like we're starting the campaign now. Hashtag bring back Howard. Like it sounds better than the Snyder Cut. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I I'm curious about what the hell that's gonna look like. And part of me kind of almost hopes that it's terrible because the these how much fervor there has been around, you know, a certain demographic of the fans. And that it's like hailing it as the, the second coming of, of cinema. And it, it's, it's so blown out of proportion. I'm one of those one of those people that's curious to see it, and but I'm not pinning all my hopes on it. Like, I don't necessarily think it's going to be much better than the theatrical cut. It might, may, it might be, I, I don't know. I have, no idea, I have no idea what to expect with that. So I, I kind of just waiting to see what, uh, what the hell that's going to even look like. But it, Howard the Duck. I'm 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 all for it. And there are elements of this movie, like like we were saying, that I I think do work. It is very 80s in its weirdness, which we were saying, which I love. Uh, there's that the scene at the diner, and the, the waitress has some really kind of funny moments with Howard. Um, oh 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 yeah, the uh, uh, oh, man uh, Cajun sushi. That whole bit's great. I like that bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The one the the waitress who brings him eggs, and he's horrified. Um, that's actually really funny because I never thought of that before. I was like. Yeah, that was a recent joke that sort of landed on me. Like, oh, yeah, I'd freak out too. Like, that was good. <laughs> you know what is weird, though? The other, like, factoid is, like, uh, during the production of this movie, uh, 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 Universal slash Marvel's lawyers were constantly on the phone with Disney's lawyers because Howard the Duck's similarity to Donald Duck. Rewatching this 30, as a 36-year-old adult man, uh, he looks just like Daffy Duck. I'm surprised they got away with that. Mm. yeah he looks you know they even like make a joke about it or tim robbins uh doing a, a daffy duck impression like oof. oh man speaking well which we'll get we'll get to that in a second uh but i also really liked howard's sort of sarcastic comments to uh tim robbins character phil like just his like comebacks to him i thought some of that was funny like howard being kind of the smart ass I thought was a lot more effective than Howard being horny all the time, I guess is what I'm going for. 
Well, the fact that he's offended that he's, he's been giving an IQ test by a janitor. I'm like, what's wrong with right. that? Like, right. what's wrong with that, dude? You're just a little bitch. So what? <laughs> he's got to um, pay the it, bills, man. It is weird that the worst, I would say almost unequivocally, the worst performance in this movie is future Oscar winner Tim Robbins. Did you, would you oh, agree easily. with that? Easily. Uh, he is, every time he opens his mouth, it was really, really grating. Um, <laughs> what are your, what are your but thoughts what the, on But what Tim was Robbins? the direction on set? They're like, Tim, I need you to go to eight, and he gives them a 10. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, just, he went out there, man. That's sitcom acting. Like, and like you talk bad about bad sitcom like, acting too. Yeah, bad sitcom acting. And like, and this was '86. So two years later, he had his real his real uh, real uh, career boom with um, Bull Durham, and then his career was like launched. He went from there. But like, man, that was that must have been a shaky two years when he's like, holy shit! Like, am I gonna make this? I mean, he's he's the worst part of the movie. Yeah, easily. Easily, like, but I, like, I, but I feel like, he, but I feel like he was, he was, he was giving, he was giving what he was being asked to, to deliver. The character is pretty insufferable, like al- already. So I don't really. It, it, he was, and he was nominated for a, a Razzie. Not that I put much stock in the Razzies, but he was nominated yeah. for a Razzie for worst supporting actor. This movie was uh, a big, big contender there, as we would assume. And um, yeah, I'm I, sure I it know. swept that year. I have no idea. I, I'm I, sure I, it did. I, I have no idea what won that year. Cobra, I have no clue. Like fuck the Razzies, but uh, yeah, uh, I I feel like you you take that character fill out or you write him significantly better, and this movie is is significantly more entertaining and and less grating. Uh, it's because Leah Thompson, as we as we've already touched on, she's she's doing a pretty solid job here. Uh, you know, doing her all own singing, as we mentioned, the music's pretty fun. Uh, the the actors that are all collaborating to create Howard, I think are in, the character is very inconsistent. I feel like there's also a nice chunk in the movie where he's like, "I got to get back," but also I guess I'm stuck here. And I was like, "Wait, are you do you want to leave? Or are you just giving up? Like, what the hell's going on?" There's like a section where the movie is not sure what it's doing with Howard just yet uh, until yeah. the whole until Denning comes in and it becomes the whole like spectroscope. Yeah, and it becomes an entirely different movie. Like suddenly yeah. it turns into this like. David Cronenberg body horror movie slash chase movie with like all that stuff. You're like, this is a completely different movie now. Like, there's no more fish out of water component, which that can, that's an entire movie. It's just Howard the Duck. Like as they say, you're trapped in a world you didn't create. Uh, you can make a you can make a 90 minute movie right there. That's pretty funny. But like then they go in this wildly different direction. That by the way is completely. It comes out of left field. Like, it's like watching from Dust Till Dawn. All of a sudden, you realize that there's vampires out of nowhere. You're like, what? Right. what, what Jeffrey Jones? Hi, what are you doing here? Dark Overlord, all that insane. Which, again, he's like the best part of the movie performance-wise because he's in on the joke. He clearly gets this stuff. And uh, the really horrific like makeup effects, not horrific in terms of the quality. It's, it's top-notch makeup. But like, it just looks just scary. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, this is, by the way, same summer as The Fly. So like audiences sure got their fix of body horror movies. That's the multiplex. <laughs> well, there's the there's the one scene where he uh, the, he's in the car with Leah Thompson and like the like talon things like sh- shoots out of his mouth and oh, like, yeah, he, like char- plugs the, into the power to charge. Yeah, it was just yeah, which was apparently too horrific for UK audiences. They had to cut that out of the movie. Really? I was wow. like, that's that's the scene you cut out. Really? 
<laughs> yeah, no, the bestiality thing was fine. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we'll keep that shit in. Another fun fact was um, uh, the movie was such a financial disaster uh, in the United States that when it got to overseas, they were like, all right, here's how do we solve the problem? People not going to see this movie. Some ex- and literally the movie was renamed Howard, A New Breed of Hero. Mm-hmm. And you didn't even show him in the poster. You showed his like shadow. So if you're watching the po- this weird poster, you think he's just a little person. You don't think he's a duck. <laughs> what? That'll save the money. That'll save the movie. <laughs> yeah, I know people listen like, why did you guys pick that movie then? Because it's just <laughs> fascinating to watch. Like it, it is. It is. It's definitely. It, it's not unwatchable. Relic. There are some bad movies that are like true disasters that are unwatchable. But like this one of them, you can certainly sit through the two-hour running length, and it's entertaining. Like certain jokes are funny; they're delivered. Yeah. Again, there's a lot of technical stuff that really is top-notch in the movie. Money is on the screen, folks. Zero about that. Something is just there's a there's something about it, something in the stew that just makes the broth taste way off. <laughs> There was a uh, there was a somebody who's doing a poll on film Twitter earlier this evening, and they were like, "What do you prefer, a bad film or a boring film?" And it was like seventy something percent bad film because there's nothing worse than sitting there being like, "I don't really care. What is this? Who? What's happening?" Like, bad films are at least interesting to discuss, to to dissect, to to try and see. Like, well, I see what they're going for here. It didn't work. It's why. It's why people online or, or some people online are so fascinated by the Cats movie because that's a wild swing of a movie. Is it does it work? Not really, but is it interesting to like figure out and be like, well, what the hell went wrong with all these people, all this, all these actors and all this talent involved? And this is what you come up with. And I think this is a, a perfect example. I agree. Of, and of like, that. you know, the top. To Tom Hooper, you know, who gets a lot of shit from film Twitter for the killer reason that he had the he had the ball he had the gumption of besting David Fincher at the Oscars that year. But I look at his other movies and I go, he's made good movies, director. And frankly, I'm not I'm not appalled that King Speech beat Social Network because that's an that's a great movie in its own right. Sorry, mm-hmm. it happens. Film Twitter, your favorite movie doesn't win all the time. So when I speaking of we're dating this podcast, it's been one year since Parasite won. And film Twitter is obnoxiously gloating about it. And you can tell by the tone of my voice, I didn't like Parasite. My, right. We're not into a Parasite review right now, but I fucking hated that movie. And uh, not into it. But like, you know, that's the way life is, guys. You don't always get your way. So accept it. Right. Yeah. But like, rather... my point being, my long-winded yeah, point being, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, Robert. No, but no, my no, point you're being fine. That, I like, want to hear it. Um, like it's, it's, Cats isn't even the worst movie that I would argue Cats is not the movie that Tom Hooper did. I'd say it's the Danish Girl because that's just like boring crap. And I thought yes. that was everything. I thought that was everything that Tom Hooper was accused of, falsely accused of being with King's Speech and Les Mis, which those are both really good movies. At least Cats is interesting. Like he's oh, yeah. man, he's he's mighty Casey. He got up to the bat. He got up to the to the batting cage. He swung. Now he didn't make it, but I appreciate him at least making the effort. Right. Yeah. There's, there's, there's some choices at play in cats. Let's put it that way. Um, and it's to the point that I, when I saw it, I was like, I told my wife, I'm like, I, you have to watch cats with me. We have to do a, so we did a, a crooked commentary episode. We just recorded ourselves watching cats and she hadn't seen it before, which was a lot of fun because it's a really wild movie. Um, but yes, uh, going back to Jeffrey Jones, I was watching his performance in this movie and I was like, at a certain point it, it finally clicked 
Men in Black completely ripped off this whole villain. Oh arc. God, yeah, like a hundred, yeah. like beat for beat, pretty much. But that movie made six hundred million dollars, so okay. Yes, and it was produced by Spielberg. Uh, so I feel like somebody along the way must have been like, "Ooh, you know that thing in Howard the Duck? We could do it. like it." It feels like it's so similar that it 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 almost can't be it almost can't be by accident. It's literally possessed by an alien. His body is sort of starts to decay throughout the course of the movie. Takes a woman hostage, turns into a giant monster at the end, and is defeated. Like literally the exact same. Yeah, that's that's I never thought about that. He just pointed it out. It's just, there's, it's just, Men in Black is a movie that works and this is a movie that doesn't really work, but it's like, just, it's funny to, to go back and watch movies that are, are, you know, cast aside and realizing, oh, wait, you know, your favorite movie from the 90s, they totally stole a significant portion of it from yeah. Howard the Duck of all places, the fight all or bin at, at your local Walmart. Uh, they just dug around in there and, and uh, took a, a giant plot point. Yeah, exactly. But again, it's that tonal thing. It's, you know, Barry Sonnenfeld, who I'm not a big fan of either, uh, he was the right fit for Men in Black. He got it. Right. And I, I, just, I just don't think Lord Hyatt got it, with all due respect. Yeah, I think it needed, it needed a, a more deft hand behind the camera for sure. But I think it sounds like we're in agreement in that this is definitely an interesting watch, if nothing else. It's entertaining in part, even when it doesn't work. It's just like, well, wow, that's we're doing that. All right. Um, it has that sort of element to it. And uh, it could could work. There's a, there's there's something to this story that you could see why they would see the comic book and realize, well, that could be a really strange and interesting movie. Uh, the question is, can we adapt it properly? And they did somewhere along the line that that uh, that focus got got lost or went askew. Uh, but I think that there's, there's, it's worthwhile for Marvel to go back and, and do something with this. It's just, it, it feels like it, it can't decide whether it wants to be a kid-friendly or family-friendly adventure movie or something like more trashy, like in the Fritz the Cat style, but not to that extreme. Which I have to think that they were, uh, Lucas and them had to have been watching Fritz the Cat at a certain point for an influence. They thought of that. Yes. I'd be surprised if they didn't. Yeah, and, and initially this was even supposed to, it was intended to be an animated film, but then they think they were, they realized that would take too long to do it the way they wanted to, and so they were like, well, we'll they do were, live action, we'll do technology. They were contractually obliged to make a live action movie. Oh, okay, there you they go. They were like, all right, we have to, like, you know, that would have been the, their way out of it, but man, even if it had animated, how would that have been received? That would have been like a year later, probably 87, say. Like, yeah. that's, uh, would have been e-frowned upon, like, like, because the, the people's notions of animation, this is two years before the Simpsons. So he still think of cartoons as being for children. Here's this cartoon with, you know, sex and, you know, duck condoms and duck nudity <laughs> and all that fun stuff. And like, how does, like, imagine like the, the outraged parents. And again, going back to the start of this podcast, we grew up watching some stuff that was clearly on edge that they just don't make for kids nowadays. Mm. Like, you know, I'm not a fan of the movie, but like Monster Squad is a movie to be appreciated by by for no other reason than there's kids cussing and swearing and killing monsters with guns and arrows, and this would be so um, like oh my god, crucified by film Twitter today if they tried to make mm. it. It would never get made. Um, so many I movies. I love the Monster Squad. I, I grew up with the Monster Squad hardcore. That's another yeah. one. I was like, yeah, right in the yeah, right in the nostalgia. They would never make it. They'd never make it. Uh, just 
you know, I, I, there's very few movies that we grew up watching that I feel like they would make today. Very yeah. few. I, 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 maybe, man, maybe E.T. E.T. Would, would skate by. I, I think they would probably stick to the walkie-talkies instead of guns kind of approach uh, if they made it now, for sure. Oh, God. Absolutely. And, uh, well, like, yeah, yeah. So much of, you know, my wife and I, we, we both uh, really appreciate and, and we kind of consider it a, a more of a horror movie than anything else. Return to Oz. So like Return to Oz, and like The Labyrinths, The Willows, The NeverEnding Stories. Like these movies would scare the shit out of kids now just because they're, they're, they're more used to, you know, the minions and like the secret life of like all of that. Like very few kids movies today are, are not pandering, are, are kind of helping, you know, trying to, to make serious adult themes accessible to kids and you know through fantasy and uh, and adventure and that kind of thing and i feel like is that, yeah is i miss that, that. thing it, i miss it too and it's the thing where like not to sound like a, the, the two old parts of the room here but like we did have it better growing up because there was a sense of we can tell you you know um not sugar coating everything for us like yeah you can tell a fun movie with the good guys win but like life there's consequences and there is edge right. and there is darkness and there are like like some of these great movies that we like have those disturbing scenes that we remember. You mentioned Return to Oz, which freaked out so many people in 1985 growing up. <laughs> yes. Um, and this is someone who my first movie obsession was The Wizard of Oz. Like that's one of my top three favorite movies of all time is the 1939 movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, yeah, kids growing up now are getting these, you mentioned the minions. It's just like, yeah, it's like, let's do very baby safe cartoons that are just no threat, no edge. You don't really learn anything. Um, pop culture, crazy with jokes. Right. There isn't a, there isn't a timelessness to it. I mean, I, another childhood movie I think of is Willy Wonka on the chocolate factory. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Edgy. Like, and that's 72, 70, mm-hmm. it's early seventies. So like, that wouldn't get made now. I know they're trying to trying to do a prequel about young Willy Wonka. I guarantee you, if, if even if that movie gets made and Paul King, God bless you, go for it, brother. Um, it won't have the edge of that first movie. Yeah, there's there's very few and far between, and 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 it's unfortunate because when you're telling these stories through the prism of fantasy and things like that, that's gives you more leeway to to go there to go darker places you know i think i've one of the only movies in the last decade or so that i think that it kind of fits in the same category as the ones that we're talking about is something like Coraline, where like that's a really dark movie but it's ostensibly for kids and it's using a sort of fantastical premise to to get that you know that that point across and get that that you know it's not it's not uh, it's not like harrowing in a in a realistic way. It's all it's all through artifice and uh, supernatural forces and all that dream state kind of thing. So it doesn't really it's able to 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 harken back to the you know the the never any story days and stuff. Let's see. Is there anything else about Howard the Duck that we haven't talked about? Now that we are on we run on a complete tangent there, but I th- I feel like it's it's relevant enough considering this movie kind of wants to be for kids, kind of doesn't give a shit about kids. It's, un- it's unclear. Uh, is there anything else about Howard the Duck we haven't mentioned that you wanted to make sure we cover before we uh, before we start winding down? 
I can't think of any. I just it's a, it's just uh, I, I I I you know this without any uh, condescending. I appreciate it for existing. Yeah, you know, it's so. it's they don't make them like this anymore. Uh, there's a great pair of there's a quote. I'm gonna I'm Josh Olson of Trailers to Hell uh, said this in one of his commentaries, and he was taking the quote from someone else. I'm gonna paraphrase the quote right now. Uh, it's regarding uh, 70s movies, but it applies to 80s movies. Is uh, you know, uh, you have to take the good with the bad. You can't just get um, Francis Coppola going off to make Darkness in Vietnam without getting Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The same level of thinking with these people who made the movies. You take the, you have to take the bad with the good, and we don't get that anymore. I think I, I, that's and that's part of why I think this show, this um, movie, was worth talking about for this episode because I don't really like when film Twitter or critics or whoever just dismiss, dismiss movies out of hand. You're like, Oh, that's garbage. Uh, that's dog shit. Whatever. Uh, I'm like, well, wait, hold on a second. Let's reassess and see what lessons are, are to be learned or what entertainment value there is to be gained. Like we were saying earlier, a bad film is way more interesting to talk about than a boring film. And I think there's very, very there's basically no way you can call Howard the Duck a boring film. So it has that going for it. Absolutely. Awesome. So Jamie, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Oh, uh, I'm still on Twitter, which I keep meaning to dismantle it because I'm kind of growing to despise Twitter. <laughs> but film nerd for at the moment, uh, add her Jamie on Twitter where you can find me. Awesome. Awesome. Jamie, this was a blast. Thank you so much for bringing Howard the Duck to the table. A, a <laughs> sentence I never thought I would say. Um, You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and this, it was, it was interesting for me to go back after, like I said, like probably 30 years uh, to see this and realize that this is one of those movies that I can't believe I saw as a child uh, and just how unkid friendly it really is. Uh, just to put in context, like basically anything with puppets, my parents would be like, oh, he I'm sure it's fine. It's for kids. I saw the Garbage Pail Kids movie a lot when I was really little too. And I haven't seen that in forever. So it's, I feel like now I have to, I owe it to myself to track that down and be like, Jesus yeah. Christ, not only is this next, terrible, next this, is week like, on. Oh, this is unwatchable. That might actually be unwatchable. Next week on Crooked Table Podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mulholland Drive notwithstanding, we're, we're, I am kind of on a like mid-80s uh, nostalgia kick this, this year so far. So we'll see. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe Carmen Real Kids movie would be that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that was our chat about Howard the Duck from 1986. Big thanks to Jamie Williams for once again coming back on the show. What a fun chat we had about a very bizarre, oddly entertaining movie. Uh, it was really weird to go back and revisit this so long after having seen it as a kid. Uh, but for, we're still wake, working our way through the final round of episodes as the Crooked Tail podcast. The show must go on. And next week, we'll be joined by Philip Boone of Sports Flicks, Just Give Us Clicks, where we'll be discussing the 1993 sports drama, Rudy. We had a really great conversation. I'm excited to share that with you guys. Uh, in the meantime, please find me, Robert Yanis Jr., on Twitter, at Crooked Table, Instagram, same handle, and at crookedtable.com for all the updates on upcoming shows and uh, other projects that we have in the works over at Crooked Table Productions. A lot of stuff happening on the back end right now. Uh, but that's all in the future. I've been Rob. Keep it crooked, everybody. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. 
Z-R-O-L-K-E-D. Z-R-O-L-K-E-D.